With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Everyone, John Wirtz, I'm here. This is week's Sports Illustrated slash Tennis Channel Tennis Podcast. It is the Monday after Indian Wells concludes. It is also the first day, technically, of the Miami Open qualifying starts. And we are going to talk to tournament director James Blake. This is his second year on the job, but this is the first year of the new Miami Open, no longer on Key Biscayne, but at a new and improved site between Miami and Fort Lauderdale. We're going to link the video to the new Miami Open, which is really quite something and James is going to talk to us a bit about what this new look tournament looks like um, what you can expect if you're going for the first time as presumably everybody is and um, whether the rivalry between Miami and Indian Wells that bubbled Chris Everett Martinez style Roger Rafa style for years and years whether that is back on busy times is everything good yeah yeah I mean uh, it's First day, first uh, new venue, so there's already some some hiccups. But as long as it's just hiccups and not real real big problems, we're all right. Just just no fire festival, all right. <laughs> we're not quite going to get to that level, I don't think. <laughs> but we're uh, we're good. Um, so uh, we missed you in the desert. Breakfast wasn't the same without you, buddy. I know. I missed it. Those are fun times. Next year. Um. So yeah. uh, let's jump right in. People, uh, the the rivalry's okay. back on. And I'm talking about uh, Indian Wells in Miami. If okay. we are, uh, if we're going to the Miami Open this year, it's going to be very different. Uh, tell tell us what you're seeing on the ground. We we've all seen the video. Uh, it looks amazing. Yeah. But how, <laughs> how do you describe it? Yeah. So in person, it looks amazing too. It's um, to me, especially to see how much it's gone in a year from when we were breaking ground to putting an entire stadium inside a stadium and building a whole plaza and grandstand and permanent structures with art and grills and bars and everything on the outside is truly incredible um, to see what can be done in, in a year um, when it takes longer than that to build most people's you know just normal homes it's uh it's amazing if i'm going for the first time give me give me like two or three things that you've stumbled upon that uh are, are super cool that people might not ordinarily know about well I think uh, if you're going for the first time, just to see it as it's, I don't know, you got, you can have an experience. You can have, if you even if you're not a tennis fan, I feel like you can have an experience because if you are, if you are a tennis fan and you like a lot of the things about Crandon Park, there's an area in the plaza that's very similar to Crandon Park last year with the seating, the video board, and um, you can get some food from little food stations around there, food trucks. And then if you're looking to really have more of a like bar experience, we've got um, Kiki on the river. And it's raised. You're looking over some of the match courts. You can look up to the biggest video board in all of tennis. And you can walk from restaurant to restaurant to Casa Tua to Novecento. Um, you got unbelievable places, bourbon steaks. So you got some pretty cool areas. You can you can get a picnic basket, fill it yourself, and then walk it around anywhere on the ground. So it's uh, 
it's pretty cool to have those kind of experiences and not just have great tennis, which we're also going to have great tennis, of course. Um, tell me about Steve Ross. What's he like? I mean, Larry Ellison has sort of become the, uh, you know, the, the great Wizard of Oz of, of the desert. Tell us about his counterpart in Miami. So Stephen Ross is someone that's uh, pretty impressive, the things he gets done. I mean, he came directly down here from opening Hudson Gardens, which is one of the biggest development projects in, I think, possibly in the whole world, uh, what he did in New York there, coming straight down here. And to know that he picked out all the landscaping. When you look outside on the plaza and um, you see the flowers, you see where they are, you, he had it to such detail that his landscaper, he wanted to make sure that, um, the flowers are blooming on March 10th. So by the time people show up, March 18th, the flowers are in perfect bloom. And lo and behold, they did. He, he got these things done, these, these small details. Um, to think that where, we were, where we're walking or where a lot of the patrons are going to be walking in the bar and plaza area, all the like tile or um, like brick on the ground, it was asphalt. It was a, a parking lot last year. To know that, you know that he's, done something special and that he's got a lot of great people around him that are uh, that are making this event really unique it sounds like you're building something that's the, the event is as much the attraction as it's sort of like uh this is sports perhaps for the era post serena roger rafa that you're it sounds <laughs> like uh you you come for the event as much as you come for the for the athletes themselves is that intentional well i, I mean i think just like a lot of people say and you know it's uh, when you're in it is there's no one person that's bigger than the sport. We want to promote the sport. We want the sport to be um, really more of a star than just Roger, Serena, or, um, or any of the, the big names. We want to make sure that people are having a great experience and whether or not the stars can uh, draw the crowd, whether or not the stars can carry it, we've got plenty of other things that can make you want to be here. And we can have an experience here for the tennis fan or the non-tennis fan or someone that's just looking to have a great day out of the tennis courts. It's uh, it's Monday morning. This is like day one of the tournament, kind of sorta. Um, yeah. These are these are probably two crazy weeks for you, and then you you sleep uh, you, you can sleep on March thirtieth. What's what's this like for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. It's a little hectic. Um, there's there's little hiccups. There's transportation issues. There's um, glare issues of the court. There's little things that, that we're, we're getting to the bottom of when you got a new venue. When anytime you got a first day, I think at an event, there's going to be little things that you, uh, that you hear from the rest of the staff. And right now, uh, we're hearing a few, but we're getting through it without any major issues. We've got little hiccups, little hiccups we can deal with. Um, it's the major issues that we're avoiding and we've done so far a good job, but it is just the first day. So I'll, I'll tell you on April 1st if, if we made it through totally unscathed. Watch the FEMA tents and the cheese sandwiches. Um, what's uh, Describe the courts. The courts are, um, we're, we're all real happy about the color. Um, we wanted to get it a, a little bit more unique with somewhat of the, the dolphin color, so we got a little bit of the green in there, um, and we didn't do it too bright so that the players don't have an issue. So I haven't heard uh, one player have any sort of issue. I feel like once players... As long as they're within a, a realm of being normal, uh, players aren't going to have an issue with the court. They're going to be happy with it as long as they're level. They're not having any sliding issues or slipping issues. Um, they're not crazy, crazy gritty, so they're you know almost unplayable. And they're not slick and too fast, which I think we've got it in the realm. 
Um, it's going to be pretty similar to Indian Wells, I think. Obviously, different conditions of the air because um, it's not really as much the thin air, the desert air. It's much more humid, but the court surface is going to be pretty similar to Indian Wells. So it should be a, as easy a transition as we can make it coming from the desert to the beach here in Miami. You, you've done this drill a, a dozen times. What is the transition from the desert to Florida like? Well, yeah, when I did it as a player, it yeah. was um, it was always tricky that first day, first day of practice and the first match, uh, getting your body adjusted to the humidity. Um, that's the biggest difference I, I felt was the humidity going from the desert air. Um, the time zone, I think as players, you get used to that, changing that way and the flights and all that kind of stuff and different hotels. That is not a problem. It's just the humidity for your body to get used to <laughs> the fact that you're sweating as soon as you walk out of the walk out of the hotel room. But uh, once you get that down and you're used to the heat here, well, you know, that's one thing I can't control as a tournament director is the, the, the weather. It's going to be, on, there's going to be days of rain. There's going to be days where it's crazy hot. There's hopefully going to be some cool, nice, nicer days, but um, everyone knows as a player, you're, you're just at the mercy of nature at times. Did you, uh, you have a chance to watch much of the, uh, much of the matches from Indian Wells over the weekend? Watched a little bit, but as you as you said at the beginning, it's, it's it's a little bit my busy time. So I've been uh, I've been dealing with stuff here, and I, I always thought it was funny as you know when you're a player, you assume the administrators, the people working at the event, get to watch all the matches. And last year, as my first year on the job, I realized how few of the matches I got to see. I would see the results as they're coming across the board, or the you know just the um, just the scores on my screen in my office, and um, not actually getting to watch a lot of the tennis. So. <laughs> It's uh, it's unfortunate as a as a tennis player and fan that I, I want to see a ton of matches and you end up being too busy to catch uh, a lot of the matches. But I saw I saw a lot of Rogers match yesterday. That was uh, that was pretty amazing. Um, I saw I just saw highlights of the Andre Andreescu match. Oh man, that was uh, if you if you get a final like that, you're going to be leaving uh, a happy man in two weeks. <laughs> a great great Definitely. match. Both great of, match. yeah, I've heard both of them. I mean, I saw most of Rogers and the Andreescu. I heard is amazing too. So. I'm um, happy for her, proud of that. You know, that's an incredible historic performance uh, at that age and uh, that ranking. So, yeah, it's pretty, pretty crazy. Let me ask you, uh, Rafa and Roger are supposed to play in the semis on Saturday. Yeah. And, uh, and Rafa pulls, and there was some chatter about whether tennis needs to consider some way where maybe a losing quarterfinalist could have stepped up and, and played that match. Uh, what do you think of that? Uh, I don't think so. And that's just, to, uh, for me, that it doesn't make a ton of sense. I understand the fans' perspective of, uh, you know, we can't, we paid to see a match. We don't get to see anything. And the tournament ends up scrambling, doing their best job they can to put on some sort of a little exhibition, which, you know, Tommy does an excellent job of. We would, if we have to scramble, we'll try to do something similar. But you can't have a quarterfinalist waiting around just in case someone pulls out, just in case someone gets food poisoning that night or someone has a knee issue or falls in their, pre- in their warm-up. And you also would have a tough time. I mean, imagine having a quarterfinal, someone losing in the round of 16, um, and then the quarterfinalists, they get hurt, and that person ends up going on to win the event, which we all know can happen. I mean, on a given day, someone gets hot. You throw John Isner. John Isner loses in the round of 16, sticks around. His opponent gets hurt before warming up. He goes on, and you've got to play John Isner now in the quarters when you're supposed to play – Grigor Dimitrov, it's a totally different person, a totally different match that you find out you're playing them an hour before. It's just, I don't think it's fair to the other players. I don't think it's fair to the players even that, that lose that may stay around an extra day because, you know, if you lose and you're getting ready for Miami, you want to get to Miami and get prepared as early as you can. So 
I just think logistically it doesn't make sense. It would be a horrible issue with optics if the player then goes on to win and win a title when you know they lost in the quarterfinals or uh, um, around the 16 or something. I just I don't love that idea. I it, all I can do is say I'm sorry to the fans that you know you you feel like you want, you paid to see a match and you don't get to see one. That's just the unfortunate reality show that we've we we forced to love in terms of sports. All of which is to say. Uh... Are you? Did you bring a pair of shorts? They they may need you to uh, <laughs> fill a session. Um, Just in case, yeah. I saw Tommy lace them up, so I don't know. Yeah, exactly, I hope I don't exactly. have to. Tommy, Tommy, I think it looks like he's in better shape than I am these days. Um. So, but ser- seriously, talk a little bit more about what your duties are. Um. I mean, I I know these are these are eighteen hour days, and this is everything from draw ceremonies to dealing with player concerns but what's when they signed you up for this job what did they tell you and how much is that conforming with reality what do you do all day well yeah (laughs) well um for players it's um as i'm sure you know the players have a lot of concerns so i'm for one thing one probably my biggest thing is being in between the players and what also goes on in the event so when players have requests for whether it be at the practice court desk whether it be wild cards whether it be um, transportation requests or hotel requests or a- any sort of any sort of requests the players have I, they're they're coming to me any sort of complaints they have they're coming to me which uh, at, at the time you think like oh I, I won't have that much to do and then you realize that that's um, pretty much overwhelming with how much the players need and want and then you have to then you have to determine which ones are valid and which ones are just someone complaining about nothing and which ones are really important um, and need to be addressed and then you got to either take care of it yourself or get to the people that can take care of it. Um, Cause obviously I can't fix the court. I can't go out there and repaint something. I got to have find the people that are going to do that. And, um, and then otherwise just other things that pop up um, throughout the, throughout the tournament. Um, if you got issues between players, between coaches and you know, what you need to do for, um, for all the coaches to make them feel comfortable. And so you just want to make sure everyone's, everyone's safe, secure and happy at the event. And um, if you don't, if you take care of the, the little complaints and little hiccups before they become big issues, then uh, then I feel like I've done my job. <laughs> Give us a few things you've run across that you may have taken for granted as a as a player that uh, you now realize in this new role uh, or have have some a fair amount of importance. I, I would say it's the scheduling because I thought scheduling you know you call in like hey what's the schedule is it out at six p.m. I'm ready you know I, I want to know my match time when I'm playing tomorrow. And what goes into it, I already had a meeting this morning about the scheduling, and I'm going to have another one after the men's draw comes out this afternoon to go over scheduling. And that's thinking three days in advance how, it, how it's going to be. And then, of course, when you think of someone three days in advance, something changes. The person you expected to win doesn't win, or someone pulls out, or you got a weather issue. And so it ends up changing, and we put together this puzzle pretty much every day um, for what's going to happen with the schedule. And that, once the tournament starts, that takes up a, a good portion of, of every afternoon is the scheduling because you've got the ticket salespeople in the room. You've got the international media, the domestic media, and both tours in the room to all have their own opinion. Meanwhile, I've gotten 15 different requests from player A, B, C, and D saying, I want to play late. I want to play early. I want to play on grandstand. I want to play on stadium. I want to play on the outer court and trying to judge which are most important, which are, which can be um, which can be kind of pushed to the side, and also 
you realize then that you're never going to make everyone happy. So there's going to be a time I got to go back in the locker room and say, Hey, I couldn't get that done and you're going to hate me. So what can I do? Um, you know, I, I, I'm looking at the, uh, the quality draw. You seem to have a typo. It, it says Joe Wilfried Sanga is in the qualifiers. <laughs> he is. And I'm, uh, so I'm pretty happy that he came to play qualities because he, um, again, you can't make everyone happy. He asked for a wild card in the main draw and we couldn't, uh, we couldn't provide that, but we could give him a wild card in the qualifying. And, um, for a player like him, a grand slam finalist, the guy that's been top five in the world, he's, he's playing in qualities and happy to do it coming over. He couldn't play Indian Wells. So he came all the way over here to play Miami qualities. And, uh, one thing, um, uh, I would say is um, I, I feel sorry for the people that may have to play him in qualities because he's the guy that's won a title already this year. He's he's playing great tennis, so he um, you know if he's playing the way we all know he can, he's a guy that could do damage in the main draw, not just in the qualifying. So it's uh, I'm happy to see him here. He's gonna hopefully he also I mean for us as a tournament to have someone of his uh, his caliber in the qualities, we're pretty happy to have him uh, filling uh, filling stands. You've uh, you you got Felix in the quali draw as well. Um, you were never uh, you were never an eighteen year old Canadian in a in a former life, but um, you had a breakthrough. <laughs> you you sort of came through. Um, you know you, you you had your breakthroughs as well. And I'm wondering, give give us a sense of what both Felix and Bianca Andreescu are going through this week. They're both coming off great Indian Wells. Obviously, she she wins the whole tournament. But what is that like mm-hmm. when? you're the flavor of the month and everybody's talking about you and tweeting about you. And then you've got to go defend at your next event. What, what, what is that like? What is this week like for these players who have broken through? You know, I think it's pretty interesting and it's, it's always, it's always fun to see and watch how people react to that because it, it is just a totally different experience. Cause now you're this, you know, big man on campus or if you, for lack of a better term, but you're, Everyone knows about you. You're not a secret anymore. Everyone knows how well you can play. And then the expectations come. And so now you come in and you're Andre Eskew. You're uh, Felix and people are expecting you to win matches. And then you look at it from an objective point of view. And now you're playing someone that's ranked very similar to you. But you're, you have all these expectations that are way higher that people think you're supposed to win. And you don't think about it maybe at the time. And that's what's fun is some people do think about it. Some people realize and can have a rational idea of, hey, I'm not expected to win this any more than 55% of the time because we're ranked around the same spot. But because people are making it like I'm going to win this nine times out of ten, it's just putting added pressure on me when I know I have to play well. I have to play really well to win this match instead of starting to take things for granted. That's where some people can get a little complacent and say, oh, I have all these expectations. I'm supposed to win. But the person on the other side of the net does not feel that way. They feel like, hey, I'm here to play. I can play well and I can win this match. And so you have to go out and prove yourself over and over. That's why I love tennis. I love sports in general is that you still got to go out and prove yourself. You can't go in there on hype and win a match. You got to say, you got to, you know, put your, you know, put it on the line every single time. And so that's what Bianca and Felix are going to have to do. And um, I think they're both, they both seem to be prepared for that. They both seem to have uh, really good heads on their shoulders. I don't know Bianca as well as I know Felix, but you know, Felix is someone to me that's been surrounded by a good team and he's got, um, he's had expectations for the last couple of years, and now that he's realizing them, I think he's ready for it. Um, so I'm excited to see how he does in qualities today. And, uh, and Bianca, I mean, it's incredible. And you don't normally see this, the turnaround from playing in the finals yesterday to we were just as part of our scheduling meeting this morning said, okay, well, 
we know she's not playing Tuesday because she's not seated here. So she's got to play either Tuesday or Wednesday. So Ooh. I think we'll, we, even without getting the request from her, because everything else is new, she doesn't have her team already calling for the request. But without the request for her, I think she's going to play Wednesday. <laughs> so she needs a little bit of time. But normally uh, players that are in the finals there get until Friday a lot of times to, to rest up a little bit and get here and get acclimated. But she's going to have to turn it right around and play Wednesday. All right, last question. Uh, if, if the premise is that the, the great tournament rivalry, the Bloods and the Crips of, uh, of tennis, Indian Wells and Miami, it's, 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 it's back on. Are you uh, you're, you're buying that premise? <laughs> I, I, I've, I've heard that. I haven't, I've never heard it in terms of Bloods and Crips, but I've heard the, the yeah. competition uh, issue before between us and Indian Wells. But I, I never liked it to begin with, even when I was a player in both of them. They're two very different tournaments. They both can be great for the sport of tennis. I'm so happy and proud of what Tommy Haas and Larry Ellison are doing in Indian Wells, and they're making the sport better. And anytime there's money coming in, there's excitement, there's passion coming into the sport, which is what we're bringing to you know a new stadium here in, in Miami. We're bringing that into the sport. We're making the sport better, in my opinion. So I'm not trying to compete with anyone else. I'm, I'm trying to make the sport better, and I hope, uh, hope we can accomplish it. And I know Tommy and Larry have, have accomplished it, so oh, happy man. for what they've done. Listen to you. Um, rivalry is the jet fuel of competition. Um, all right, this is great. you you got a busy day. I appreciate this. Uh, this is a great overview of Miami. I wish you luck. I wish you uh, three set finals, and I wish you no rain. But uh, go, go, go back to work. We miss you here. We, want it. we need you here next year, too. Soon that'll, make it, that'll make it even better. Deal. Thanks, buddy. Good luck. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Thanks, Thanks, all right, thanks to James for stopping by. Pleasure to uh, talk with him as always. Again, uh, good of him to do this, especially on a busy Monday morning as the Miami Open kicks off. Thanks, as always, for uh, Jamie, for her producing sorcery. Um, Jamie, I don't, know if I don't know if you've met James. Good man. Yeah, we had him in studio for a podcast. Oh, that's right. Yeah, right now, back when. Yeah, exactly. Sat right next to me. Um, now he's a tournament director. It's always funny. It's like the student teaching the class and realizing that there's more to this than uh, I may have thought when I was on the other side of the fence. I think it's so funny when he talks about taking the requests from players. I think it's <laughs> just incredible because he was in that position and it was, you know, years ago. So I just wonder, like, when he receives them, how he feels about, like, reading some of them and if he has any sort of favoritism um, and just, like, the idea of actually a tournament director has to field all of those requests is also just funny to me so a lot of tap dancing you'll note yes. the, the requests not just for starting ties but for specific courts uh it starts early and it's uh it's a non-stop process um it is monday morning we are still i am anyway a little bit uh on a high from uh sunday tennis big disappointment when the federer nadal semifinal uh, did not come to pass but boy if you have a chance to watch much tennis over the weekend? I did. I you was, did? Okay. I, was, I actually, so I watched women's not as much with the men's. The men's, I just saw some highlights. But, um, you know, I was ready to watch the selection show and some tennis. So it was a nice stretch on Sunday before I had to, you know, do <laughs> some laundry and, and take care of some other things. But Canada won Indian Wells. You hop that. I think you're right. <laughs> Canada was the runaway winner from uh, Indian Wells. Um, I thought that match, for all sorts of reasons, was just great sports theater um duke getting the one seed with carolina gazaga that that cannot compare to uh bianca andrescu i mean i thought that was just this is where tennis is at its best it's a tight match there's a contrast in styles this one veteran newcomer lefty righty offense defense i mean this had a lot of nice contrasts and 
it just became one of these matches. Like you cliche, the cliche is who wants it more, but um, this was just a complete toss-up match, and uh, I pretty hard pretty hard to emerge from this tournament not a fan of Bianca Andreescu. Agree. I mean, she's she's a fighter. I mean, if there's one thing you take away from that match, um, she, you know, she what, had that point where she kept making errors and she looked exhausted, and then all of a sudden she just fought through. She she fought through the fatigue. She broke through the wall, um, which honestly I think speaks to her fitness. She looks like she is in shape and she has all that power um, in her legs. She you know, and then she she got to the point where she was unable to convert those m- match points as well. So you think maybe um, she has some work to do there, but for her, for her able to, you know, overcome that powerful hitting, I mean, she's, and she, you know, she looks like Belinda Benchich. Oh my God, they're like twins. The uh, she does look like Belinda Benchich, and uh, we were trying to, we were doing comps about who she plays. Like, you know what I was thinking when I was watching that match, though. You know how empirically there's very little to suggest that momentum in sports really exists, and we talk about hot hands and whether teams getting hot but the truth is you give Steph Curry uh 100 jump shots and at one point he's going to make six in a row and at one point he's going to miss six in a row the same way you flip a coin and random chance um is not empirically much different than momentum in sports very hard to make a statistical case for momentum but you watch that match and there were times when you saw Andrescu fired up and clearly in control and clearly feeling confident. And then there were times when she lapsed and there were times when Kerber got back in the match. Um, You had a lot of swings in that. I I just thought you sort of go through the checklist of what we like in sports and it's sort of leads going back and forth. And as you say, there's the fighting, there's the physical element. I mean, I I think I wrote that was, that was not a tennis match. That was a tennis war. Mm -hmm. You saw Andrescu not taking coaching in the traditional sense, it was all about, oh, my God, my feet hurt so much. I just want this match to be over. Can I win and go home because I'm in so much pain? Yeah. Um, I just thought that was great sports theater. And uh, the fact that we had uh, our 13th champion in 13 events on the WTA um, and the fact that we have this 18-year-old emerge who was outside the top 100 on January 1st and the fact that she beat, you know, who she beat? Muguruza and Svitolina yeah. and then Halep, uh to get there, that only added to it. But I, I just thought that was – not often Roger Federer, especially at age 37, plays a final of a big-time tournament, and it almost felt like an anticlimax. Right, you know, right. Everyone sort of had to exhale and smoke a cigarette after that <laughs> uh, after that women's final. You, you you didn't get to see much of Roger? No, I didn't. I didn't watch. I, I saw highlights. Um, I didn't see much of that match. But, um, you know – Good for good for Dominic team. I mean, good for Dominic team. Exactly. Yeah, I think you know it's it's always nice when we see him. I mean, I hope we say that one day about Alexander Zarev. No, it's Sasha. <laughs> but you almost, I, you almost said Sasha. Um, you know, it's it's good to see and good to see him win off the clay and be uh, you know bode well for him going forward on hard courts. He, I think, even in the best of times, he's a bit of a forgotten man. He plays a nice game of tennis. He's not particularly outrageous. He doesn't have, you know, Zverev's raw talent. He doesn't have Curios's, uh charismatic, colorful personality. Right. Um, that's a euphemism, but he doesn't have, you know, he's not outrageous. Dominic Team is not. He's, he's not just kind of a professional. Yeah, he's not physically dominant. Yeah, he's not right. John Isner. He's not six foot ten and going to hit 40 aces. Right. Just kind of a 
Pro's pro with a nice backhand, uh, plays well on clay. He had three matches in five events coming into this year, so he did not, speaking of momentum, he did not come in with much in the way of momentum. And that's not, not only is that the biggest tournament win of his career, but I, I think you could make a case at beating Federer in a final down a set might even be the biggest match win in his career. I, I think Federer is sort of an interesting proposition. Um he did not win his 101st title, and for the second straight year in a row, he lost a winnable match in the Indian Wells final. And all that said, I thought he looked terrific. I mean, I thought that was two hmm. very, very solid weeks of Roger Federer tennis, and he did not look like a 37-year-old man. And, again, that, that last set got away from him a little bit, and he played a couple of loose games in the last hour of the final. But until then, he looked like a contender, and I think – Clay could be very interesting yeah, if he can keep up this level. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, Djokovic had an early exit and never really seemed to have his head into uh, Indian Wells. There was ATP politics. There was a rain delay. Um, Lesson there, Philip Kohlschreiber is the real deal. Exactly. 35-year-old <laughs> Philip Kohlschreiber is not a player to be taken lightly. Um, and, and Rafa, of course, couldn't post for the semis and right. looks like he's, he's out of Miami now. Um, so Roger's going to you know, in, in theory, get a lot of tennis in this spring. But I think the prospect of Roger Federer on clay now becomes all the more intriguing. We haven't really talked about it. But, yeah, I mean, this we obviously found out, you know, a few months back that he would play the clay season, which he hasn't in a long time. So I'm interested to see that. I wonder if not winning here will, as you say, help him, hurt him. I don't know. Maybe it makes him want a little bit more. But Yeah, he, he was. I don't know if you caught his – he gave a very nice address after the match. It did not appear as though he was crying in his beer. And I congratulate Dominic. And it was right. a great week. And uh, on he goes. They say one of Roger Federer's great gifts is his. He has a. Uh, I guess, was it a good torture memory or bad? I mean, I guess he he forgets he he forgets things yeah, very yeah, quickly. Yeah, you know he goes back, eats dinner, and plays with his kids. Right, right. Yeah. and uh, you, you see that even in the match, he'll he'll double fault on a horrible point, and then he'll flush it and play the next point. But especially with a result like this, exactly, he'll. Uh, God bless him. God bless him. It's a good <laughs> good lesson there. I mean, I guess you it's a certain license and liberty you take when you've won triple digit titles. But uh, I wonder how you learn something like that, though. If well, it's if it's if it's learned no, or I think if it's a good name. point. Um, I don't know if you caught the the interview we did on Tennis Channel with him. And one of the questions I asked him was about he had all these other interests as a kid. Right, right, right. Yeah, a generalist. This is that was a nod to uh, David Epstein, our friend's yes, forthcoming yes. book, Range, uh, which makes a, a strong case for generalization in this world of uh, specificity and specialization. Yeah, I like that. He was, you know, preaching that. Go watch pro wrestling. Go yeah, ride your bike. Go you play this sport. Go play that sport. Um, you know, as someone who played multiple sports growing up, although not tennis, but multiple sports, uh, I, I kind of agree with that. I think you you play everything and you do everything until you really decide what you're going to specialize in as you get older. I played basketball. I played soccer. I ran track. I, I did a bunch of stuff. And I remember there was always a day where – when I would make the transition from playing soccer almost every day to switching to, to basketball practices, oh, there would be a point where I would feel basketball practices on my body differently than soccer practices. And just because I was using different muscles, right, so right, I'd wake right, up right. at one point in the middle of the winter and be like, wow, I haven't felt these, these muscles being sore in a while, right? And that was always a good reminder for me that this is working something else, and I'm sure that extended beyond physical aspects. I was going to say, I'm sure it goes more than muscles, right? Right. It's a different number of teammates and a different cadence to the game. Exactly. So I always thought it was helpful. Um, 
you know, and, and until you decide that you're going to play at a higher level, mm, then that's I think good. I, uh, you know what? I'll keep going with that. Tennis is a sport of transitions. We talked to James about transitioning from desert conditions to South Florida conditions. You have to transition from one opponent to the other. When Bianca Andreescu plays Svitolina, that's a much different match than when she plays left-handed Angie Kerber. Um, Maybe there's something to that, too. Now, I was going to say that when you talk about what enables Roger to shake off these defeats and go on to the next event, Mm -hmm. and we can joke around, oh, four kids and... Four kids and a spouse will do that to you. But I do wonder if um, there isn't something to that. When you've transitioned from pro wrestling to dirt bikes oh, you mean like to soccer to basketball, yeah, yeah. like, you know what? Too bad I lost to Dominic team. I got another tournament to play for. I can't dwell on uh, the third set That's on a fair Sunday. Point. I don't know if I got that, that rub off necessarily. I feel like I need to work on my short term memory. Oh, Jamie. My you, you transitioned there, gracefully. <laughs> um,. What else uh, was on? I don't know if you did cut the. There was a Sun Sentinel story on Naomi Osaka that was uh, quite revealing. I don't know if you caught that. I did not. I will uh, link it in the column this week. Uh, Dave Hyde, who's a great longtime columnist in South Florida, um, found a, a series of coaches who uh, feel as though they were left high and dry by the Osaka family, uh, sometimes expressing disappointment, and at least one case has resulted in a lawsuit. Uh, so that might be something to follow. Interesting. I, I mean, the the real. I mean, this happens all the time, right? Where a, a junior coach says, "I deserve more credit," and that sometimes means financial credit for a player's later success. That is an old storyline, and it's not unique to Naomi Osaka. It's not unique to tennis. Um, there are a lot of junior coaches who feel like they are still owed money by pros who made it big. But I thought one thing that was interesting is that the story had some real insight into the struggles of the Osaka family. Not that long ago, I mean, when Naomi and her sister were teenagers, and there's there's one anecdote where. They didn't. They were going to have a meal, and the family basically didn't have a dining room table. Uh, to me, that was really one interesting beat of the story: was that there was real poverty and struggle here, and that's that's something I think gets lost in a lot of tennis stories. We we think of this still, no matter how much Dennis Shapovalov uh, gets out the microphone and uh, busts rhymes, as my kids <laughs> say uh, after matches. Tennis still has this stubborn reputation as being a country club sport, but the more you are around the game, at least at the pro level, the more you realize that the country club origin story is really outdated and, and in a lot of ways false. And the much more common origin story are families that really struggled to get to where they are. And sometimes those are, um, y- in the U.S., sometimes those are foreign international stories. Right. The conditions are always different, but a lot of go through the media guide. I always say that. You go, go through the media guide and you see... Uh, you don't see a whole lot of parents that are hedge fund managers and orthopedic surgeons. A lot of times it's, it's mailmen and you know, Novak Djokovic's family right. ran a pizza parlor. I mean, you can sort of yeah. go down where Maria Sharapova's dad was drove the, the lawnmower at Boletari's. I mean, that is, to me, the much more common narrative than the country club kid. But um, anyway, I, that Naomi Osaka story I thought was uh, a good piece of reporting, well worth, uh, well worth reading. Good. We have, a, we have a reading list. Yeah, we have a, uh, we have a pre- Miami reading list. I, d- I did not. Uh, I didn't want to grill James, my friend James, on this. Uh, but the qualifying for Miami is is always interesting. Um, I yeah, think Sanga, which well, is I think Im- I think impressive. we need to say in in full disclosure, it is a uh, IMG William Morris event, and their clients uh, tend to get preferential treatment uh, in the wild card uh, disbursement. If Felix and Joe Wilfried were WME clients, you wonder if they would be in the qualifying draw. But um, 
this happens quite a bit in tennis. This is what happens when management agencies uh, also represent players, which might be one of the issues uh, that this new brand of ATP politics, this new round may may have something to say about that. We won't go down that road right now. Um, we have two good weeks of tennis, though. This is yeah. a fun fun time of year in the United States. These are uh, the, the sunshine double. I don't know when that term came into vogue. But we had a great Indian Wells overall. Again, bit of a disappointment with Nadal. Bit of a disappointment with uh, Serena, though her match against Azarenka, which I think got lost in the fold a little bit, was one of the better matches in women's tennis I've seen in a long, long time. And it was nice to see Serena at that level, Friday night session, full crowd, but also nice to see Azarenka. And I thought those two finals back-to-back reinforced the point that men's and women's tennis belong together. The sport is better off. that is. I I saw your tweet about that and definitely agree. We had an 18-year-old. We had a 37-year-old. We had lefties. We had righties. We had Canadians. We had Europeans. It was just a great sort of little distillation of everything right about tennis. And uh, the old one plus one equals three. Lots of good uh, signs coming out of there from different players coming back from injuries. You know, uh, even Dominic Team, for example, who's kind of struggled with scheduling and just managing his body and his fatigue along the way. So all around good stories coming out of it. And looking forward to Miami. Looking forward to seeing the courts in Miami. Um, I, have you seen the video? Yes, I have. Dolphin, dolphins it's blue. Well, he said dolphins green. I think Miami dolphins are. It's are, a blue. It's, 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 it's like a an teal. Aqua. It's a teal. They were early on the teal craze. Um, all right, that uh, that does it for this week. Um, Jamie, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Good to be back in New York. I'm off next week, so uh, you may be on your own. Um, We'll we've had uh, we've had a lot of great suggestions and requests for guests. A uh, a recent former number one player might be stopping by. I'll uh, leave that one open. But um, anyway, keep the suggestions coming. Thanks to James for his time, especially given the circumstances. Thanks as always to Jamie. Thanks to you for listening, subscribing, and leaving reviews. Um, reviews about content always preferable to reviews about audio quality, right, Jamie? Agreed. Um, All right. We will uh, figure something out for next week. Enjoy the tennis from Miami. Have a good week.